Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of Let's Run, the Western Mass Running Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Gaudet. This podcast is made possible thanks to the resources at East Hampton Media. Anyone who has ever participated in one of the Thursday evening races at Ashley Reservoir in Holyoke knows Dick Arsenault. Dick does pretty much everything to make that race go. He collects your money, loads runners' names into the computer, coordinates the volunteers, makes the pre-race announcement, sets up the timing equipment, makes sure that the path to the finish line is always clear, video records the race, tears down the timing equipment, processes the results, and displays them on one of the TVs at the Holyoke Elks after the race, sets up the race video at the Elks, provides cheap cookies for the age group winners, coordinates the post-race raffle at the Elks, spin the wheel, and loads the results into the Empire One Running Club webpage when he gets home. He does all this, among other things. Many of us say that Thursday night is the best night of the week. The Thursday night races would not be the most popular weekly race in all of New England if not for Dick Arsenault. Oh, and if that wasn't enough, Dick also organizes Monday evening races at Stanley Park in Westfield. The Empire One Running Club would not have the success it enjoys if not for the tireless efforts of Dick Arsenault. This is why he is in the Western Mass Runners Hall of Fame. Here's my conversation with Western Mass running legend Dick Arsenault. And stay tuned afterwards for a rundown of Western Mass running events. I'd like to now welcome Dick Arsenault to the Let's Run Western Mass Running Podcast. Dick is well known in the Western Mass Running community as the president of the Empire One Running Club and for his work as the race director for two weekly race series, Monday evenings at Stanley Park in Westfield, and the very popular Thursday evening races at Ashley Reservoir in Holyoke. Dick is the owner of the race timing company AccuSpec and has numerous running and coaching accomplishments. This year, Dick was inducted into the Western Mass Runners Hall of Fame. I've been hoping to record a podcast conversation with Dick ever since I started this podcast last year. So, Dick, it's a pleasure to finally have you as a featured guest on the Let's Run podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Good to be here. Finally. Yeah. Dick, you recently celebrated your 80th birthday, but you, you still seem to have a lot of energy to, to lead Empire One and direct two weekly races and and do all the timing work. How do you do it? <laughs> well, I'm not an idle person. I believe in keeping busy. The running has certainly has kept, kept me busy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my business has kept me busy. And like when I retired uh, at 62, I think I retired for about a day and I said, that was enough of that. <laughs> Time to get keep moving. I believe you worked in a machine shop. Was that right? I spent about 43, 44 years in machine shops, starting at Pratt & Whitney, right out of the Navy. Pratt & Whitney. Wow, yeah. I worked at Pratt & Whitney for 12 years. <laughs> yep. I was there for a couple. They sent me to school for six months. And then I said, well, I know enough of uh, probably as far ahead as I'm going to get staying here. So I went into the job shops and that's where I learned my trade. Back then, I would stay in a job shop a couple of years until I knew all the processes for whatever they were doing, and I'd move on to another one. Now, did you ever, uh, you know, ascend to leadership positions? I did manage a machine shop for eight years in West Springfield. Let's see, I also was in business a couple times, 
in 70, 74 to 76 with one of my ex-wife's relatives. So that lasted two years. And that was another learning period. Never get go into business with uh, someone you know. But I think this, the management experience in, in your business served you well as a race director and, and kind of leading the Empire One Club. Yeah. And I worked out of my house for my, my garage for five and a half years by myself in the machine shop. Impressive. So for the podcast, I'd like to first talk about Empire One, and, and then we'll move on to the uh, Thursday and Monday evening races and the, your timing business. And we'll wrap up our conversation talking about your, your personal running and, and coaching accomplishments. Okay. Dick, I believe you are one of the founders of the Empire One Running Club, which was established in 1980. Do you have any uh, recollection of that? Yes, correct. Out of the, uh, the racquetball club, they had a makeshift track, which was a, a tenth of a mile, which was strictly a piece of linoleum over, mm-hmm. over cement that you ran around. And one day over the microphone, someone says, uh, anyone want to start a running club? Report to the, uh, the children's uh, nursery. Okay. Well, that was a great place for us. Mm-hmm. We ended up having our meetings there. You know, you're sitting on toys and stuff. It was, it was a really a good start. And it went from there. I believe there was eight of us that started. And another good thing that to help us, the racquetball club was giving a discount off your membership if you join the running club. So our membership started to grow rapidly. You know, whenever, whenever people found that out, we probably went up to maybe about 150. So were you a member of the racquetball club? Yes, yes. I remember back in the 70s, racquetball was a big deal. It was, it was very big, very big, yeah. And it was convenient. It was only probably a you know, mile and a half from the house. So, but running was also big in the seventies, right? There was the the running boom. You know the yes. um, the book uh, by Jim Fix. Yep, there was, there was a lot of accomplishments, and you know Bill Rogers getting a lot of wins. It was a great period of time for runners from the states before we started getting the uh, different long distance runners from other countries who. Right. Started taking over the wins. Yeah, right. Frank Shorter won the uh, 72 Olympic marathon. So. Yeah. So how many members did the club start out with? Eight. Eight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's grown quite a bit from then. So then Empire One, how did it get its name? It, it got its name from the racquetball? That was the name of the racquetball club. That, that's it. It was the Empire One Racquetball Club. And so we became the Empire One Running Club. I hear the word empire. I think of New York, the Empire State. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people associate that with New York. I've been asked that many times. You're a New York club? No, it came from a <laughs> racquetball club. <laughs> and yeah. somewhere out there, there is another Empire One. Did um, Empire One back then sponsor races? Our first race we became involved with was a July 4th race. We were very naive. We knew nothing. Uh, someone had told us we should do that on the 4th of July. We were not aware that the Harriers even had one on 4th of July. So we were given some bad information. We really were not savvy on putting on races. I think we had 40 some people sh- show up and we went in a whole $1,000 for t-shirts. <laughs> that was our first race. <laughs> a bunch of us each came up with $100 each to bail the club out. After that, I think our next race after that, there was no t-shirts. So we finally paid everyone off. And then we learned the t-shirt game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that you mentioned the Harriers. So were you competitive against the Harriers back then? 
once we got going, yes, we were. There was a time when team running was really big with clubs. And we did make it to the point I recruited a lot of people. The president behind me recruited. We got, for two or three years there, we were the team to beat in, in male and female. We were doing very well. Did you ever travel to events? Oh, sure. We would go to all the USATF Grand Prix races. That was a fun period of time for the club when we got involved in that. A lot of traveling, different states. Yeah, I, I know. I read about the Harriers going to California. And, uh, yeah, we, we didn't do anything like that. Ours was <laughs> all New England. New England. Okay, cool. So when did you become president then? Were you president early on? I was or, the third president. Third president. Okay. Um, Dan, you know, Danny Lyons? Dan Lyons? I don't know. No, well, he's, he's still in our club. He was the second president. And so how many years uh, have you been president? This is my 32nd. 32 years. Wow, that's impressive. Not consistent, but every now and then I show up. So it was founded around 1980. So it's, what, 42 years. Uh, so how's the club changed over the years? Runners change. There's not as many competitive runners as the club is what there used to be. And I've seen that kind of dwindle down a little throughout the years. We did go social. There was a period of time where, uh, like I said, we were, we had a, a lot of good runners in the club. And then at one time, one came up and asked me for $500 to pay for the club. That was the end of our competitive running. <laughs> <laughs> I just confronted, you want $500 to run for the club? You've never worked a race. You don't do anything. And, uh, you're talking to, you know, you're talking to the wrong person. I believe in sharing whatever we make with all of our memberships. It's always been like that. We take care of all of our members first. Yeah, I joined in around 2014. And um, I, I would say, yeah, it's more social than competitive, I would say. Yes, yes. So how many members do you have today? Right now, we're right around 100. We've come down a lot, but we stay right around there. Beginning of the year, you lose some, and then you start making them back, and you get back to work. That's a nice number to maintain, and we get a good percentage of that out of people that assist. You know, whenever we've got someone talking turkey, I want members, the people that are going to contribute to running. You can have a club with 500 members in there, and you'll never see more than 10 or 15. Yeah, our members, I mean, they volunteer at the Thursday night races, the Monday night races. Yeah. Yeah, they're engaged. So what would you say the demographics of the members are? Would you say they're competitive runners versus beginners versus? We have a mixture. We, we have a good mixture of all. That's good. That new runners coming in. I've been watching through the years and I find that the majority, not everyone, we have a runner come in and they, a new runner will last about five years. This is, this is what I've been following. You know, they'll, they'll come in, uh, all of a sudden they'll find out they probably have never done any sports before. They're taking up running. They're maybe their 30s or 40s or 50s and, and you know, 60s. Yeah, yeah so sudden, for me, yeah. <laughs> you start seeing this improvement and that really gets you moving and running. Now you're trying to gather as much information as you possibly can to, to improve. It's a great time in your life. It, this is the way it's going to be the last time for, for, <laughs> yeah. for, for sports. Yeah, for me, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> you, ne you never know. You never know. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my price. I was 59 years old and I'm 67 now. You're doing great. I feel good. Club members help me. I, I remember when um, you have informal group runs at the reservoir and uh, yes. 
and, you know, I joined the group and I wasn't quite yet a member. And um, yeah. I remember telling Suzanne DeSessa that uh, I wanted to run a marathon. I had just finished a half marathon and she said, well, you should join the club. You know, you can talk to other runners and join, you know, long group runs. And, and that's exactly what I did. And it was good advice and it, it worked out great for me. Another thing that you'll notice, you make a lot of new friends. As you age, you don't see people you used to be, used to, a majority growing up or something like that. And you do seek out some new companionship with people that have the same likes that you do. And it seems to be a, a good fit. Running seems to be a good fit. Yeah, certainly for me. I mean, I was never really an athlete. And then um, it took me a long time to figure it out that I was halfway decent at running. I wish I, wish I had discovered that earlier in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so um, we mentioned the Thursday night, Monday night races and talking turkey. Does Empire One sponsor any other events? Uh, I know we, the club has a banquet. Yes, we have the banquet. And then we were having a Halloween party and we were having a picnic. But COVID kind of put the brakes on all of that stuff. We're not out of COVID yet. I've been watching running as a whole and the running we're involved in and running throughout the country and uh, races are still down. Yeah, I agree. I would say that. The real popular races are going to hold their own. I mean, we dropped considerably where our weekday race is. Well, we're getting, what, 55, 60, up to, up to 90, I think we hit. You probably get a little more during the middle of the summer. Once the 12-week series starts. Right? Yes, once that starts, that starts bringing them in. And I don't know yet if I'm going to bring back the money this year. I'm watching closely. We do have a yearly budget that I try and maintain to, to mm -hmm. keep the club going. Right. That's up in the air and we, we shall see. <laughs> no, I concur with that. Certainly the attendance has been down, although I, it feels like the number of races has returned. Now you have a timing business and, um, and I think you've been pretty busy this spring, right? I have been busy a couple of weeks ago. I put on four new races in one week. Wow. Yeah. And I'm starting to get my fall races back now. They're signing up early because I've told them it's getting busy <laughs> with all these new races. I'm getting new races in, you know, out in, out in the Boston area where I used to time a lot of races. That's starting to open up again. So it is opening up. One, one time I looked at running statistics overall, it seemed like it peaked you know, around 2014 or so. And, and yep. it's slowly coming down yeah. a bit. That'd be about right. I've been watching it drop. Drop, uh, drop. Our, our weekly races started dropping. I like, probably over the past five years, I've started watching the reduction. And, and partly there might be because there's more races, and I think that yeah. contributes to that. There is. There's a lot of races right now. So, just to make our listeners aware, the Empire One Running Club races at Ashley Reservoir take place every Thursday evening from the beginning of April to the end of September. Start at six thirty, except in September when the days are shorter. They start at six, and I'd say. The Thursday night races are the, certainly the most popular of all the, the Western Mass weeknight races. And frequently, you know, you attract over 100 runners. Like we said, it's a little down this year. I read an article from 2012, which stated that the Thursday night races at Ashley were the most popular weekly race in all of New England. I can add to that because I've had people from different countries run the race and talk to them. And I remember talking to a girl from Great Britain. And Great Britain is a great running country. And she told me, she says, we have nothing like this over there, our Thursday nights. And I've heard that many times. So uh, another girl who was doing, uh, I don't know, she was involved with, with some kind of training up in Greenfield Hospital from Germany. And she said, 
No, we don't have anything like this. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> you know, a few years back when everything was really gone, one evening we had 275 runners. Wow. That was more than what weekend races would go. Wow. <laughs> and I had, you know, all the other stuff, the drone and all of that stuff going in. It was, it was an event. No, I knew about the Thursday night races before I really knew about the club. <laughs> But I understand that they originally were at Whiting Reservoir in Holyoke. Yes. That's a, lo a long history up there. There was probably races at Whiting for close to 50 years. Wow. There was a shop there in Holyoke where a couple of guys started the races up there. They had National Blank Book. They had a little running club going, and they were the ones that first started up there. And then it went from them to a couple other people. And then to the uh, Paper City Striders, one in Ohio. Did runners hang out at Wyckoff after the race? Like they no. hang out at the Elks? <laughs> no, everyone went home from that point. <laughs> we were all parked on the Mount Tom side, the park. That's where we were parking. So there wasn't too many coming in from the other side. So no, it was a different scene. <laughs> no, I think the Elks is a big attraction for the Thursday night races. Well, It's a big attraction, and, and what it is, being so close to 91, it's very accessible. Yes. We were getting a lot of people from Worcester coming down. You get people from Connecticut? Connecticut. They come up 91? Yeah. So, yeah, that's, a, I think, a symbiotic relationship, right, between the Elks and Empire One. Yes, I think we both need each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so, too. I think it's benefited both. So, um. I understand that to run a national, you need permission from the city of Holyoke Water Department. This just started. We've always had permission. And I've also included them in our liability. We take out $2 million worth of liability on the club. And I have to list whether organization or whatever, uh, such as the city, that we are going to be used and we include them in that. So... They get a separate uh, paper from the insurance company that they're included in too many. They started using that as a requirement now for anyone that's coming in and having a race there. You have to have the liability insurance. So you've been the race director pretty much the entire time, right? Uh, for the, uh, the Thursday night races? Just about. We've been at the Oaks for 30 years. And uh, the first 10 years, they wouldn't even let us in the building. So we'll just like hang out in the parking lot. We had a huge parking lot party out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was fine. We had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. We'd bring food and grills. And so they didn't mind you hanging out in the parking lot. They, they just wouldn't let in the building. <laughs> yeah. They couldn't let us in the building until they started going bankrupt. And I said, mm -hmm. why are these people going home when they could be going in spending money? And then they weren't going bankrupt anymore. <laughs> no, that's good. It helped everyone. I think so. Yeah. But there's a lot involved in being a race director, right? I mean, you... Uh... Yes, there is. You take on a lot of responsibility and then you have to... You're an engineer. It's just developing a process. Yes. You have to... You learn the process to make things work and go good. And you... When you're the race director, your head is turning around all the time. Even on Thursday night, I may be talking to someone. Well, I'm talking to someone about that. Out of the other eye, I'm not looking at them. I'm looking at something else that's going on. And that's, that's what it takes to be a race director. You have to be constantly aware of your surroundings. So did you um, learn that? Did you have a mentor or did this just come naturally to you? Oh, the school of hard knocks. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Learn by your mistakes. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I think you, you probably you develop some of the organizational skills through your work, right? Oh, yes. You learn that. And, you know, whenever the CNC machinery came in, you know, uh, I had to learn how to program machines. And whenever we started going into computer use for our, our Thursday night races, a lot of the, the computer program that I bought was in DOS, the first one. I knew nothing about DOS, <laughs> nothing. I bought, you know, one of those huge DOS books, bought myself DOS so I could run the computer. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, and we'll talk about the technology and timing in a few minutes, but uh, I just want to stick on the Thursday night races for a minute. You mentioned earlier you were in the Navy, and so you seem to have a very disciplined approach, right? And I think it requires some discipline. And did you acquire that from the military? I would say so, yes. The military is a good start. You learn to do what you're told, and mm -hmm. you don't make mistakes in the military. Yeah. I always enjoyed being in the military. I probably would have stayed in for 20 years, but I was a postal clerk, which was a fantastic job. My dad was a postal clerk. Oh, great. You controlled your own liberty. You weren't sure a lot of times in, in foreign countries, you were the only one that went to get the mail. I had access. Admiral's barge would bring me to pick up the mail and come back, even when the ship was leaving. It was great. It was a great, great time. Yeah. When I got out of the Navy, I said, I do not want to be in a post office anymore. And uh, into machining. In machines, yeah. So, of course, we talked about the attendance at the races, and it's been really good over the years. And I think part of that is that you've introduced little features to help that attendance, right? Yes. It was established an event. And as I could see, it, every time I added something on, our attendance went up. So I would watch what's going on throughout the country and races and stuff like that and start bringing that stuff. Actually, some of the stuff wasn't going on, like the head cam. That's an original one. The drones were out there. Drones, yes. I remember one night the drone got stuck in the tree and uh, you had to climb up. And That was my first flight. <laughs> <laughs> I tried getting closer and closer to the trees. And then I noticed, well, the drone is, in, is up in the tree. And what do you do now? Well, I walked over across the field and I look and it's probably about 15 feet up in a pine tree. And well, there's only one way to do that. I started climbing the pine tree. And of course, pine <laughs> trees, the, the bottoms, the branches aren't very good. So they started breaking and people are yelling at me, oh man, get out of the damn tree. <laughs> and then when I finally got up to the, the drone and tossed it down, I didn't realize that it was still on and it was videoing me climbing the tree. Yeah, I think I saw that video. Yes. We saw this hand come up and grab the drone. Grab the tree, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. me. Yeah. She can't fly the drone now, I understand, right? Because of its proximity to Barnes? What's happened is because of Barnes, the drone that I have can be locked down because of the distance to a military base or an airport or anything like that. And this is what they've done. So I could probably pull it off if I let them know that it's doing. We're right on the edge. But I'm being a little cautious at the moment. It's early in the year. There's no telling what's going to happen from now till September. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully the drone will come back. Things change. Yeah. So there's a drone and then the, you mentioned the head cam. And when did you start the 12 week series? I thought I read it was like 2008. 
Yes, that was a big boost. When I did that, our attendance doubled. Wow. I started the... Uh, People came, came out for the money then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was 10 years ago when they brought in the uh, the chip timing. So yeah, that'd be about right. Yeah. yeah. The money. I ran a race, the Westfield flat and fast last weekend. And I was surprised if age group winners get a hundred dollars. Wow. That was good. Yeah. You won a hundred dollars. I, I did. All right, very good. And the good age group it was only a five-year age group. <laughs> I was surprised. That's good. That's real good money. Yeah. But you also do at the Elks after the Thursday races, spin the wheel. And yes, we, we had that, it was the lottery, whenever we get over a hundred people, we would throw in money and whenever we got over 150 we'd throw in more and it was a time where uh, a couple times it went to the end of the year when no one won it and uh, we've given out over 700 dollars at the at the end of the year which is not bad for yeah, yeah. the race in fact, i know on woods night there's free pizza i remember the first time i was there and the pizza was a little late coming and and when it finally arrived it looked like people had never eaten before (laughs) (laughs) that's why i put two slices on and come back for more (laughs) yes people were taking pizza home yeah (laughs) so i understand the uh, races they were never canceled due to weather but in one time i remember i was volunteering and it was a couple years ago felt like a monsoon and in fact the timing equipment all got soaked and Everything got wet. We put enough stuff on in a race because when you're doing electronics, things break. <laughs> they will break. So you have to have backup. Yeah. That was quite a night. That and uh, putting a race on in, uh, in the middle of a hurricane one year. I think it was Hurricane Hugo. That was another uh, <laughs> instance to remember. <laughs> <laughs> but it did get canceled last year, right? Once the access road to the Elks uh, was blocked yes. by a tree that fell. Well, the power lines were down. It was the one time that it was out of our control because people couldn't get to the Elks to run. Yeah. So the Elks had to shut down. and It was a long run ended. Yeah. <laughs> Even though the Timed races occur from April to the end of September. There's a core group of runners who show up every Thursday all throughout the winter. And Yes. You know, in the winter, if you're talking our winter fun runs, you'll, you'll, you'll probably see 30 people out there. Yeah. Which is in the wintertime at all temperatures and conditions is, is it's a real good showing. Oh, yeah. Path can be snowy, icy. Uh, you know, everyone has to wear the headlamps. When I first started that, a long time ago, it was me, Joe Boucher, and another person. And we back then, we were using headlamps, and we weren't running at the reservoir. Uh, once it would get bad, but they weren't plowing at that time. So I had set up a course down the industrial drive, down by Quinn, up into Bear Holes. And we were running mm-hmm. about a 10K, at least six miles doing that one. Wow. They finally opened up the reservoir, and that's started plowing, and there we go. And you provide pizza all winter, too, right? One day a month? <laughs> Once a month, yeah. And that's just for people that show up. Mm-hmm. I can truthfully say that our weekly races, there is no club anywhere that spends the kind of money that we do on the people that attend our events. We spend a lot of money. Oh, I appreciate that. Yes. So let's talk about the Monday night races. Mm-hmm. I understand that you um, restarted them from a previous running club in Westfield. Yes, that was the Good Time AC. And they were a Westfield group and uh, a Southwick group. And when they stopped, the president, it was Bob Greenleaf at the time. First of all, he asked us to take over a race. It was the first race. 
in Westfield. And we took that over out of the, one of the local schools there. And then he asked me to take over the uh, Stanley Park race. But originally it wasn't at Stanley Park, right? Not at Stanley Park, which was very unusual. They started right in front and they ran the streets. And when I went over to look at it, I just wired running the streets than when we got to the park. So I went in uh, myself and Gordon Bates at the time we went in. And I, oh, yeah. Gordon. Yeah, Gordy was a real good guy. Helped me a lot. That race, it's three miles, right? It's not a 5K. So 5K is the most popular, right? But yes. Is there a reason why it's three miles? Yes. I looked at it for convenience. First of all, the gazebo. If I'd have put it into a 5K, we would have had to start further back up on the paved section, you know, across the fields, run down, and then you're taking a turn. I don't like taking turns whenever Mm -hmm. you've just started a race. Mm -hmm. That's that's not the way I lay out courses. (laughs) I've laid out a lot of courses. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. And it worked out fine. And whenever you're laying out a race, you start from your finish and work back to where you want to start. That's the most because everything happens at the finish. Mm-hmm. So that's a really the correct way to, to lay out. And it worked out. Otherwise, we'd have been finishing up near the, the tennis courts. and By Western Avenue. And location was not convenient. It just wasn't convenient. The three mile worked out better. And people can figure out their pace much easier. <laughs> yeah, the math is easier, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the runners, they start off by running a loop around a large open grass field and then yeah. continue on a trail through the woods before returning to the finish line near the small gazebo. Uh, so does someone maintain the trail through the woods? Someone must because we don't. Oh, you don't. <laughs> Runners run over everything. Maintenance people at Stanley Park probably take care of that because I know the um, Tuesday night races, the Sugarloaf race, Lou DeCessor or somebody, you know, Don Grant, they have to go out there with lawnmowers and <laughs> runners maintain that course. Yeah. So how's attendance at Stanley been over the years? Stanley, I think a few years ago, we we're probably getting up into the, uh, the 80s Wow. for a high, which is good uh-huh. because the problem with Stanley is you're not going to draw the numbers out there because if you can't get there by highway or something like that, and you have to drive 45 minutes, that's, that's like going to Jurassic Park. Yeah, I guess for people in the Springfield area. Yeah, they won't go that distance. But it's fine. We maintain the presence. Our charter is to promote the sport of running. That's what we're doing. Is there a place to hang out after the race? Well, everyone used to go to, you know, not everyone, but a good portion of the people would go over to the hangar for socialize after. But the hangar, like all other places, had problems with hiring people. So they're closed on Monday now. All our places are closed. So we would just go over to, uh, there's another place right across from the hangar, a Maple Leaf pub or something like that. People like to make the race night, their night out. Throughout the years, off season, I've had so many people like, when are the races going to, we're going to race to start. That's always our favorite night of the week. You, you hear that all the time. Yeah. That's why, you know, we created that social event no, oh, I love the Thursday night races. So in addition to the weekly races, we mentioned that Empire One hosts the annual Talking Turkey. It's a six-mile race at Ashley that takes place on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. You probably laid out that course too then, right? Why is it six miles and not a 10K? Is that to keep the math easy on that too? Can't blame that one on me. <laughs> <laughs> what happened was it was a 10K race. And the city put in all those filtration tanks up in the back. 
where that's where it used to go. And the people that redesigned it made it into a six mile because it just wasn't feasible to get the 10K out of it with what they had changed around as far as the path and stuff like that. So they dropped down to a six mile. That's how it became a six. And of course, once again, it's easier to figure out the math. Now, I knew about that race long before I knew anything about Empire One. And, and the race had a reputation for the great shirts, the long yes. sleeve shirts. In fact, I yeah. have one from a 2003 race I registered for. I actually never did run the race, but I made sure I went and get the shirt. <laughs> yep. They were indestructible. People wore them all the time. Someone was telling Billy Harbour, this has been the race director for just about forever, that he saw one when he was in China on the Great Wall. Someone was wearing a talking Turkish shirt wow. on the Great Wall. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. That's impressive. <laughs> the talking Turkey race, it was always a popular event. I believe at one year you had, what, 900 runners. And back then, I think it was the only local race during the Thanksgiving weekend. But I think over the years now, there's been a number of races on Thanksgiving Day, and I think that maybe has hurt the attendance a little bit. Yes, we did for a few years get 1,300 runners. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was way up there. There weren't, there weren't any races around, but there are so many races now. Just this past Thanksgiving season over from Saturday to Sunday to Monday, there were seven races. Wow. I timed three of them. <laughs> too busy yeah yeah back in the day i think it was just talking turkey and the, and the manchester road race the manchester yes but now it's just a lot of competition um, so the money that gets raised by the talking turkey that supports the elks yes it does it goes directly to the elks funds and keep the doors open so um i vaguely remember another race back in the 90s and i think it was an empire one race it was at barnes Oh, yes. But that was not, no, that was not our race at Barn. Dick Hoyt was involved with that. That was put on by the National Guard out there. Okay. Air Guard. That was one hot race. Yeah, I remember. It was hot. It was in the middle of summer. I do remember that. Three o'clock in the afternoon in July or something like that. You'd run that, and I think there was one tree, the first mile mark, <laughs> one little tree, and you'd see people hanging on it already. <laughs> 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 yeah. I th well, it was out in the airfield, I think, right? <laughs> One year, I remember standing there waiting for the race to start, and my shoes were melting into the tar. <laughs> when I came home from that race, the whole bottom of my running shoes, I had to take tar out of them. Wow. wow. <laughs> That's hot. That sure is. So let's talk about your race timing company, AccuSpec. You provide online registration and timing services for road races as well as collegiate cross-country races. So how long have you owned AccuSpec? I started that as soon as I retired because I was bored, I told you, after one year. So this will be 18 years this year. Wow. You mentioned you know, technology earlier. and How has the timing technology evolved over the years? Well, the technology evolved. We started. <laughs> we first started our first race. I think was we timed the race. It was out of the Chicopee Savings Bank in Chicopee. And back then, what you would do, you would use mailing labels. 
Okay, so someone would come in to register, they would put all their information on the mailing label, because that's what was going to be posted on a big board. Mm-hmm. And you would also put on a little colored tag or something like that, according to the division. So you'd have probably an eight foot sheet of plywood. And that's where you would list them going down. Uh, back then, you, you wouldn't get 100. Yeah, That's how people looked at their results. And so you just had someone at the finish line with a stopwatch and a clipboard? Yep, that was it. <laughs> sound, sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Been in some of those races. But then I, I remember the, uh, the shoe-mounted timing chips. Did you ever use those? I always no. thought those were a pain. Well, they were a pain. I started after that was over because I remember running a USATF, one of their Grand Prix races half marathon and I lost first place in my age group because I had the wrong foot across the finish line. (laughs) (laughs) The other guy had it on the right foot. How about losing by a nose, but you lost by a foot. (laughs) I lost by a foot. That's funny. It's always been the torso. You say TF, you wear your bib on the torso. Mm -hmm. The photo finishes, it's a torso that goes over. It's, It's not a foot. Yeah. <laughs> Not like the horse track then where it's a nose. <laughs> Those were very expensive. <laughs> when did you start using bibs with the RFID timing chips? As soon as I bought the equipment, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And that's what you use today primarily, right? It's the same setup. I bought the MyLaps timing setup. It's the same timing system that they use for the Boston Marathon. So I couldn't get anything any better. Yeah. But you're um, very careful to have a backup method as well, right? You learn. (laughs) You learn to the school of hard knocks and things go down. In fact, that just happened a couple of weeks ago, right? Yes, it did. It did. We had three crashes at the computer one night. So then you had to look at the video, right, to figure out. Fortunately, we had the times because we had someone pushing the button, putting the manual times into one of our timers. Yeah, I use those handheld device. And so yeah. every time someone crosses the finish line, push a button. It's a glorified stopwatch, only it keeps the times in there and you can get them into the computer. That's all they are. Right. I had to watch the finish line video, which is our last backup, which I've had to use for many races, not only for the running club, but also in my business. Mm-hmm. That's how I put the race back together. Time consuming. Yeah, it just happened a few weeks ago. So the handheld system, then it's just like you said, it's a glorified stopwatch. So you you just have a series of times, but you don't know who is who. No, no, no. That's where the video comes in. So the weekly races record gun time, right? Strictly gun time. We don't have enough people where it would be feasible to set up for net time. And another thing, I would have to set out two different sets of of mats. You're going to capture this at the beginning. There's not enough time with the volunteers we have. Yeah, for 100 runners, I mean, it's not worth it. The people who care about their time, they start at the front of the pack anyway. Right. <laughs> but you do have that capability, though, right? Oh, sure. I do uh, net times in some of my uh, races for my business. It depends on what the race director wants and what they're willing to pay for. So you timed races all over New England and in New mm-hmm. York State. So yeah. how many races... Do you time in a typical year? Oh, it dropped down a lot now. I may time about, I don't know, 25 to 30 now. I was timing probably double that for a while. Wow. Well, it still keeps you pretty busy, though. And you, you have a crew of people. And- They're all from the running club. 
Yeah. They are people with excellent computer skills, which is necessary. And you also have timed collegiate cross-country events. Yes. I was timing some in New York before COVID hit and uh, up into New Hampshire, Vermont. Uh, I hadn't done anything in Maine, but down in Connecticut. And of course, Mass locally. For a while there, I was timing one for St. Mary's College out of New York. That kept building and building and building. I mean, one year we had 42 colleges, which is one of the largest cross-country races in the, in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. For, that's two different races with 41 colleges represented in each race. Yeah, That's quite an event. That's Yeah, a lot of runners. So let's now talk about your personal running and coaching. You know, I know you as the race director and organizer of the, uh, you know, the president of the Empire One Running Club, but... You also have impressive running accomplishments, completed the 1984 Ocean State Marathon in under three hours. Yeah, that was my second marathon. Wow. I learned after the first one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we learned well, 257. And I looked up the Boston Marathon archives and I found multiple Richard Arsenaults, but I yep. believe you're Richard R. Arsenault. <laughs> you yes. completed the 1987 Boston Marathon and 307.52. So is that you? That's me. How was your Boston experience? Oh, no. Buckle up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Boston. I ran Boston in 85 and 87. I ran six marathons. I qualified for Boston four times. 85 was around close to 80 degrees with 90% humidity. That was not an enjoyable marathon. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I forget who won it. He had to stop and walk. It was so bad. Wow. Yeah, it was bad. 87 was almost a carbon copy. So that was my two experiences with Boston. I remember back then used to finish and go into the Prudential Center. And I... I've always been able to handle races very well. I never have, get sick to my stomach or anything like that. In those races, I would start walking around 15 miles and it's would say, something's wrong with me, but I'd look around and everyone else is walking. No one's running. <laughs> they were not good experiences. And I remember once walking into the bottom of the uh, credential center in the garage, that's where the first aid area was. And it was nothing, the parking garage was nothing with bodies laying down there trying to cool off on the cement. And I walked in and took one look and said, nope, not that bad. <laughs> it went, went right through. <laughs> so that kind of turned me off to marathons. And I really wasn't into the marathon scene. I like to run competitively. I, I always liked the 10K as a great distance. 10K to the half. You can do your surging. You, you have much more of a chance catch up to someone. When you get into a race, you're pretty much at that pace and that's it. There's not a lot of other movement. You're hanging on all the way through. Mm-hmm. I looked up your uh, Springfield Paper Chase 10K. That used to be a big event in Western Mass. I that used to draw about 900 to 1,000 people. You have to remember back then, there were not the amount of races there are today. The races would draw all the talent, all the running talent would be there. So you, you had to work there. People were running a lot more miles, even in a running club back then. We had a lot of guys working at with Storm Drop Forge over in, in Springfield. And those guys were, their objective, their goal was, ah, we'll run 10 miles mm-hmm. because we were 10 miles today. Or if we work 12 miles today, we'll get out, we'll run 12 miles. Mm-hmm. 
So those guys were running close to 100 miles a week wow. <laughs> with their regular job. So they were running <laughs> some fantastic times. Of course, they're not running anymore. Yeah. One time I found in the paper chase, 10K was 3522. I don't know if that's, yeah. you keep track of your PRs or not. Yeah, that was my PR for the 10K. That was probably my fastest pace time. I think it was what, a 530 something. Wow. It's impressive. I found you also completed the Dick Child's half marathon in yep. an hour 28. Yeah. It's impressive. That's one that we helped create the Dick Child's half marathon. That was in. That was well, in is North that now the, um, which evolved into the, the Walter Child's marathon? No, the Walter Child's marathon, two different brothers. Okay. <laughs> Dick was actually in our running club. I had him come into our running club for a while, but he started the Van Horn races, Dick Child. Oh, at Van Horn Park? Yeah, for that, they've been around for a long, long time. So do you still run today? You had to ask me that, huh? <laughs> Something about turning 80. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but I probably ran a couple times the first of the year. And something happened to my foot, to my middle toe. I don't know if it was me, because I do a lot of my own auto repair, and I'm always doing something. That I may have just smashed my toe in did something there because actually the past three days, I don't have a sore toe. I don't know what happened. Yeah. Well, maybe you can get back out there. And my running, the toe was giving me pains across the top of my foot and right up into uh, the middle of my calf. I haven't been able to run at all. And you know what that is for an injured runner, right? Oh yeah. We've all had injuries. And they just shoot us. <laughs> Did you kind of taper down over the years? Oh, yes. I tapered down whenever I started timing races because all my weekends were occupied. The majority of them, there's no time to time races. So that slowed my ability to perform and go to the races. The races I did do, you know, I would do a half marathon and it's, I'd probably run uh, two weeks before the half marathon. <laughs> so it, it has slowed me down. Yeah. Yeah. So you've also coached the Granby Boys and Girls Junior and Senior High School cross country teams. You were actually requested by the Granby School Committee to restart yeah. the program. What it was, was the race director knew me because he had run some of our races. And he had told the school committee about me that he was going to ask me if I could do it. Because the program had been down for 20 years. And the kids are the ones that wanted the program. They wanted to come back. So I went for an interview. and I had the job before I went for the interview. <laughs> and, they hired me and, and it was good. I had given him a three-year commitment because I was working for myself at the time. And uh, when you're doing that, you lose a lot of money coaching, I'll tell you. Yeah. And then I was gone for six years. And then I came home from vacation once from Bar Harbor and it was a call. Please come back. They let, they replaced me with two coaches and well, there was, there was a problem. So they got rid of them and I did go back for another six years. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's impressive. So did you enjoy coaching? I really did enjoy coaching. It involves a lot of mentoring. There's a lot of problems out there with home lives and stuff with kids. And you are, all of a sudden, you become the person to talk to. And that was some of the highlights. And planting the ability that you can run beyond high school. Make this your life sport. As you go through life, there's going to be depressing times. And going out for a run gets rid of a lot of depression. You always have this experience to fall back on. And that's the way I coached. And I would have a meeting with the new parents before uh, the season would start. And I would 
explain them exactly what my goal was. And not being a teacher in the school system, the kids were afraid of me because they didn't know. <laughs> they did not know me personally. So whatever I told them, they did. <laughs> no, you never have problems with cross-country kids anyway. Yeah, well, running, like you say, it's a good lifetime activity, like running and skiing and golf to a certain extent that you could do your entire life. You know, you're not going to be playing basketball when you're 60 years old, most likely. <laughs> no. Well, if you play those sports, you'll be getting new knees. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have you ever done any personal training for runners? Yes, I have. Before I started really getting busy with the race timing, I did start my own business, personal training. I coached about five people before I had to stop it. I was just getting too busy. Mm -hmm. And that was good. That was very, very rewarding also to see them progress. And then I had started a company with another club member where we were coaching people out of the Elks and having them do their training runs there. And we did that for about a year to get people going. But I just ran out of time for coaching. Besides running then and coaching, and what other recreational activities do you enjoy? Well, the kayaking, that started in uh, the 70s. It had been brought into the Olympics as a sport. I think it was in Germany. or So that became very popular all of a sudden. Yeah, I understand you were quite a paddler. You uh, finished first in the 1980 Westfield River th three-mile whitewater kayak race. Yes, it took me four years to win that. And uh, probably running was put me over the finish line. I increased my running. I felt I was missing something. I had the, I had the upper body strength. That was no problem. Mm -hmm. We used to practice paddling all day. We would break the ice on the river to get out on the river to paddle. That's a whole different group of people. That was a big event, right? Or maybe still is. It's the oldest continuous whitewater canoe race in the country, right? Yes. At that time, over the course of two days, there would be 2,000 contestants. Wow. Now, how are the rapids? Rapids aren't that bad. No level six? No, no. Level <laughs> six is uh, that's suicide. <laughs> there may be a little spot where you'll hit four. Mm -hmm. Most of it is three and two. So do you still get out in the kayak? I get on the kayak, but no white water. I'll paddle on the Connecticut River. Mm -hmm. Once I get going, uh, probably the furthest I'll go is 10 miles from yeah. Northampton up into Hatfield. Yeah. Bill Amito's a big paddler too. Right? Yes, he has. Yep. The past few years, he's, he's done a lot of paddling. I understand you also enjoy winter backpacking and camping? Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> another extreme sport. Yeah. Uh, I've been doing that for 40-something years. I oh, just, wow. Just got into that, and I enjoy the cold. I have no problem sleeping out in uh, 15, 20 below. How do you keep warm? Just warm sleeping bag? and <laughs> Be prepared. You learn that in the Boy Scouts. <laughs> Carry it true. Right. And also my wife does it. She hasn't done it for a while, but... Oh, Linda enjoys it. We have spent New Year's, one New Year on the side of a mountain in uh, New York. Wow. We had to dig in. It was snowing so hard. I had pitched wow. a tent in there. And yeah, we spent probably three New Year's. Up in, uh, one was in the White Mountains, 15 below on New Year's Eve. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and I brought people up into it, too. Wow. You must wear special shoes or crampons. Yeah. A lot of snow and ice on the trails. When I first started, the clothing was wool. Mm -hmm. Everything was heavy. 
I would have a pack with 55 pounds on my back. Plus you had wow. wooden snowshoes. That's what you had. Today I can go out with a 35 pound pack. That's like those packs. Do you ever see the hut workers in the White Mountains and, you know, and they're carrying the, yeah. the crew they, and they carry the provisions up to the huts? <laughs> well, there was one year we climbed uh, Mount Marcy, which is the highest mountain in New York. I'm familiar with Mount Marcy. Okay. I climbed that with my loaded pack, cross-country skis, three-pin binding. Back then, the boots were like wearing a pair of PF Kids basketball. <laughs> I think I herringboned up most of that mountain. Oh, boy. Didn't have any skins or nothing like that. I put mm -hmm. something on the bottom. I forget what it was. It looked like putty. That got me up there. And, and coming down, we slept out overnight right near the top. It was gorgeous. Probably the nicest sunset I've ever seen. The snow was pink. So Mount Marcy, of course, it's in the Adirondacks. The year I went, we saw a bear. <laughs> You've probably seen a lot of interesting wildlife over the years. Well, five years ago, we had a bear here. We had a bear here last Monday <laughs> in the afternoon. I was sitting, you know, we have an enclosed breezeway and I heard something out there on, on a deck. We have an elevated deck, a 12 by 12 elevated deck. So I gets up the chair and I goes to the screen door and I looked and there's a bear hanging out the deck. <laughs> of course, my wife puts up bird and bear feeders and there he is. He's hanging off the deck, staring at me and I'm staring at him. So I opened the screen door and I said, get the hell off of my deck. So he did. <laughs> <laughs> and five years ago we were coming down in the tetons from a trail and then we walked by a grizzly about 20 feet from oh us. grizzly it's really scary fortunately he had his head buried in the, the berry bushes and he was still working on the salad and he wasn't ready for the main meal <laughs> yeah really old joke right you don't have to outrun the bear <laughs> no you're not outrunning a bear <laughs> so, so dick this has been great thanks so much for sharing your experiences on on the let's run podcast and and i'm grateful along with the western mass running community for everything that you've done to support running in western mass you know the thursday night races at ashley would not be the most popular you know weekly race in new england without your contributions and for me personally you know belonging to empire one has meant a lot and i think you're the reason why the club is so successful so thank you and i look forward to continue to see you on Thursday nights and at an Empire One event. So thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's been a long time, but it was worth it. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I, I hope you enjoyed it. I, I did. Thank All you. Right. Too. Take care. It's now the end of May and the roadway season is in full swing in Western Mass. I'd like to highlight the significant accomplishments of a couple of my past guests. On May 1st, Marissa Quintero completed her first ever marathon at the Providence Marathon. Marissa started running in 2020 and was my first 2022 podcast guest back in February. And on May 8th, Meredith Maslowski completed her 100th half marathon, where it all began for her at the Mother's Day Half Marathon in Waitley. I saw Meredith after the Westfield Flat and Fast 5K, and Meredith told me that she has retired from marathon running, but will continue to add to her half marathon total. Congratulations to Marissa and Meredith. You are both an inspiration to other runners. Also, Kent and Siobhan Lemmy, who were guests on my last podcast, hosted the Steel Rail Races on May 22nd in Pittsfield. On an extremely hot day, over 400 runners completed three events including 81 runners who completed the full marathon. 
Congratulations to Kent and Siobhan for hosting a successful sold-out event. For upcoming events in Western Mass, the Greater Springfield Harriers website lists 14 events in June and 10 events in July, including three on the 4th of July. Personally, I'm registered for the Bay State NICU Family and Friends 5K, 10K, and One Mile Walk on June 11th at Minichog High School in Wilbraham. And of course, the weekly race series events continue. On Monday evenings at 6.30 p.m., the Empire One Running Club hosts three-mile cross-country races at Stanley Park in Westfield. On Tuesday evenings at 6.30 p.m., the Sugarloaf Mountain Athletic Club hosts 5K cross-country races that start on Burt's Pitts Road in Northampton. On Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m., the Greater Springfield Harriers host the Summer Sizzler events at Forest Park. The events alternate between an 8K on-road race and a 5K cross-country race. Check the Harriers' website for details. And on Thursday evenings at 6.30 p.m., as we discussed on this podcast, the Empire One Running Club hosts 5K races at Ashley Reservoir in Holyoke. The 12-week point series races begin on June 30th. The Holyoke Elks is open for post-race food, drink, and fun. My guest for the next Let's Run podcast is Ben Kimball from the Sugarloaf Mountain Athletic Club. Ben recently completed his second book on trail running in Massachusetts, and is an accomplished photographer, trail runner, and triathlete. In fact, I just recorded my conversation with Ben, and I will be releasing that podcast in mid-June. You won't want to miss it. I think it's a good one. Thank you for listening to the Let's Run Western Mass Running Podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and share with your friends. And as always, happy running! Happy running!